Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits a Mitra podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Not much, but it was pretty awesome to see. We got a new patron who's got a t-shirt, Mitrap Pod t-shirt coming in the mail. Welcome, Kevin B. Glad to have you. Welcome, welcome, Kevin. Glad to have you on this podcast journey. Yeah, Kevin's been chatting us up on social media, and he's only 20 or 30 episodes in, so it's kind of cool to have people who are not necessarily keeping up with us episode to episode, but who now have, you know, 60, 70, or even 80 episodes to listen to and to look forward to who are new to the journey. So he may not hear the shout out for a couple of months, but glad you're uh, tuning in. <laughs> yeah, like uh, that's one of the nice things about having a podcast that I think we have episodes that are both, you know, in the moment, but then we have a lot of episodes that you can, I mean, obviously our podcast is designed to be an anthology series where this will be here forever. And as you're, if someone wants to go read and then immediately listen to this, they can go back and look at that. And so that's one of the nice things about it. Speaking of like podcasts and going back and, and looking at at uh at the podcast itself, so I, I recently switched not recently I guess a couple months back I switched from using uh, Apple Music Apple Pod to Spotify Pod, and there they don't have any sort of rate or review system yet. But for some reason today I, I found myself on Apple Podcasts for some reason, and I went and I looked at our pod. And I looked at the reviews that we, and I was surprised at how many reviews we actually had. And then it yeah. was it was cool to see some uh, someone just like on Sunday uh, posted a nice long comment. And so we just wanted to give a quick shout out to some of these nice comments that I failed to see. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. Yeah. When when you said that and I opened up the app, it's, it's just so funny how little somewhat meaningless things can just turn your day around. I, 53 ratings. Almost every one five stars looks like one four star rating. Yeah, Kevin. Probably Tom Kevin Smith. Lee. Yeah, yeah, Tom Smith, right? Uh, General Kevin Lee, though, on Sunday wrote, quote, I see Mitch rap two or three times a year when a new book comes out. But with this podcast, I get to see Mitch every week. Chris and Mike have great insight and have grown my love of the series and expanded my library, introducing me to many more authors. Just let Mitch be Mitch. Dude, I love that. Thank you, General. General Kevin Lee. I think he's a real general. I don't know. I hope so. That'd be sick. That'd be cool. So I'll say it now instead of saying it at the end. So please subscribe, rate, and review using <laughs> Apple Podcasts, I guess, or your favorite podcasting platform. We we will read them uh, eventually, and we appreciate it very much. It, it's pretty simple, too. I, I don't use Apple Podcasts myself, but I opened it up, searched for us, clicked on it, and if you scroll to the bottom, there's uh, five stars. You could tap it right there says write a review, you can type a comment right on your phone, and I think all iPhones come with Apple Podcasts installed, so it's not like you're downloading anything. So, yeah. Quick and easy and it means a lot to us. So, thank you. What uh what what, what do you use? Do you listen to Spotify? I got this random app, Overcast. Yeah, I don't know of where I found you it. You, you, I've had it for you years. Use some you, like random random app. <laughs> no, yeah, I I don't know what it is, but it, of course, like Mike, if you guys knew Mike, like I knew Mike, he he, he would be the one to use this like random third party app. <laughs> yep. And then I tell everybody about it. Exactly. And I wouldn't stop until like 40 people I know downloaded it. <laughs> you probably told me about it back in, in college when I wasn't listening to podcasts. And now, now I feel like 
we're going on a tangent here and I'll wrap it up, but do you ever feel anxiety about the amount of podcasts that you haven't listened to? Speaking of Tom Smith, no, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I honestly, I, I kind of like that I have a bunch to catch up on because, you know, I do the double speed and Bro, yeah. overcast lets you go up to three times speed. You convinced me. I'm now at 1.8 speed on all podcasts. Dude, we're busy people, it, all right? It's so we're efficient. It's so efficient. Thank you. Exactly. And I, I understand the trade-off if you lose the the quality or like the efficacy of you you can't keep up and get the information but a nice 1.8 speed even double speed most podcasts you can still process everything so yeah you save some time no but tom smith asked me that he was like you guys should be nervous about front loading a bunch of episodes because we had hoped to release like five episodes the first week we launched to give people something to listen to Mm. i was like i think people are going to want content you're like, I don't want to launch one episode and people got to wait a week or two if we're slow. And he's like, no, nah, it would cause anxiety. I'm like, anxiety? He's like, yeah, podcast anxiety. When you subscribe to an app and if there's a bunch of episodes you haven't listened to, you don't get into it because it makes you nervous that you're too far behind. I'm like, huh, hadn't thought of that. No, it's it's definitely a thing. Like, yeah. I, I'll have to go through and sometimes, like, I'll just give you one example. I, I subscribe to the BBC World Service. So they pump out two pod, two 30-minute podcasts a day. Wow. And those, unlike ours, are, they're new. So if you... One from a month ago it. is going to be very very stale, you know? Like, right. obviously. So, but I if I see that there's like 10, 10 of them that I haven't listened to this week, I'm like, oh my God, I got I to gotta go. Or I got I to gotta go and delete them. Like, I don't know. I'm a freak like that. So anyways, we're, we're, we're rambling. All right, it's a thing. It's a thing. It, it I is definitely a thing. Podcast anxiety. If if anyone else who listens to us has podcast anxiety, let, write us in, and I I understand how you feel. I got to be honest. I, I get that because of thriller anxiety. There are some series out there. Oh yeah, exactly. I, I want to read. I won't touch. Right. I want to read, and I know are amazing, but I'm hesitant because. I'm embarrassed in the sense that I haven't read any of them or I read one seven, eight, 15 years mm-hmm. ago. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I, I, I can't read that one. Cause I don't know the rest of the series and I'm too far behind. If I read one, I'm going to want to read all 12 and you know, yeah, I get that. It, my father-in-law wanted to like, listen to our podcast on, on some books, but then he doesn't know where he is in the series and he's too he doesn't want to go back like he's too anxious to go back and reread everything and i was like oh i'll buy you i I can lend you my my arc back when i had it um i don't know if you're allowed to actually i i wasn't going to lend him my arc (laughs) if i got in trouble for that anyways sorry david um and he was like oh i I don't know where i am and i i I can't go back i don't have time to go back so it's 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 a a thing it's a thing (laughs) hey just to, to change the story here nice tree you got back there Oh yeah, thanks, dude. That thing Put is it, massive. Uh, it's it's not that big. It's not that big. It was a Douglas fir. It was like seventy five bucks. I don't know. I've never paid this much for a tree. Oh no, actually, last year I paid more, and I had to cut it down myself. Ooh, that sounds fun though. I like that. It was fun, but I thought it was going to be cheaper that I was cutting it down myself. Because you go out to like a farm or something, or yeah, in Ithaca we lived like right down Ithaca. the street from from this oh, okay. huge huge tree farm. It was fun. Like Patrick had sense. a blast. So nice. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time we talk thrillers and it's time yes. we talk Mitch rap. I know you're going to give us the rundown because we are getting into enemy of the state. 
Yes, with it, this is our our penultimate book in mm-hmm. in at least this series until we come back and add an episode when when next year's book comes on. But yeah, so this is going to be uh, Enemy of the State, not to be confused with Enemy at the Gates. I, every time, like I wanted to text you or write something down, I I just write Enemy at the Gates, um, right? Because of the book, it's very interesting how the title is. They chose to do a title so similar to another title of the book, but anyways, right? Uh, yeah, and I feel like this is very much so a follow, like a, you know, this, I, I view this book along with Order to Kill and Red War as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not much Russia stuff going on in this book, but because of Grisha being in it and being such a, playing a major role and obviously a continuation immediately from the last story. So yeah, I view these three as a three book arc. This got, uh, you know. Pretty pretty standard reviews on Goodreads, 4.29. Uh, not that many Amazon ratings. Very interesting. Most of the Amazon ratings I've pulled are in the in the five thousands to six to six to seven thousands. Um but this one is is in the low. I don't know why. Uh wish we had some AWS uh analytics on this, but uh we don't. And uh yeah, so the Goodreads summaries goes like this. After 9-11, the United States made one of the most secretive and dangerous deals in its history. The evidence against the powerful Saudis who coordinated the attack would be burned. In return, King Faisal would promise to keep the oil flowing and the deals with conspirators in its mists. When the king's own nephew is discovered funding ISIS, the president suspects that the Saudis never intended to live up to their agreement. He decides that the royalty needs to be sent a message and that Mitrap is just the man to deliver it. The catch? America can't be seen moving against an ally. Rap will be on his own forced to make decisions that will change his life forever. Rap quits the CIA and assembles a group of independent contractors to help him complete the mission. They've barely begun unraveling connections between the Saudi government and ISIS when the brilliant new head of intelligence director discovers their efforts. With Rap getting too close, he threatens to go public with the details of the post-9-11 agreement between two countries. Facing an international incident that could end his political career, the president orders American intelligence agencies to join Saudi efforts to hunt the former CIA man down. Rapp, supported only by his team of mercenaries with dubious allegiances, finds himself at the center of the most elaborate manhunt in history. It's only a matter of time before he's caught or killed. Will it be enough to turn the tables on the Saudis and clear his name? That's that's a gripping... That's a gripping... uh, uh, summary right there yeah it kind of gives a lot away it does it in does. that <laughs> i mean on the reread i'm halfway through the book you know to prepare for part one here and obviously i know what happens but most of the summary really doesn't even happen in the first half of the book so and i mean the title is enemy of the state so you i guess if know. it's your first time reading you're like is that rap is that someone else you would have never suspected to be rap but then you read this on the dust jacket or on a on a on a review page and boom there it is you know the president has to turn on rap and and this first half is kind of setting the stage of why that that moment has to come you know why it gets that bad yeah we're actually going going to go up to uh, which is roughly halfway through the book uh the point where we haven't even seen him begin to you know, do undergo his mission, and we we're not going to talk about the president turning on him and what whatnot. So there's going to be a a large chunk of the plot of this book that is 
in the second half of the book. Right. Um, but I, I feel like there's a, I wanted to sort of, or we'd agreed to sort of stop it to only talk about the, the first 24, 25 chapters or so, because there's a lot to talk about here. One, I think the whole scene in Iraq and Mitch going back and, and having this moment, I think that really, I like that, that story. And we're going to, we're going to get into that. Um, I think it follows up well to, you know, the praise we gave, of the scene with Lala, with, with Lale, Lala, in order to um, kill, yep, in order to kill, and then like what I'm what I'm calling is like this Ocean's Eleven style team up, you know, get the gang back together, uh, you know, breaking down these these characters that we've seen before uh, and that now are coming back into our life. Some that are recent and some that are, you know, from the way back. Um, so yeah, right. I, think, I think that'd be cool. To, and obviously setting the stage for with these some some of these Saudi players, as well as Halabi who right. we know will become a major player in a future book. Yeah. This book surprised me because it has so much connective tissue. Like you mentioned it. We're a lot of connective tissue. In Iraq, we're on the ground where rap is rendezvousing with uh, Gafar, Muhammad, Lale's brother, and this other ragtag band of freedom fighters in Iraq who are trying to oppose ISIS. Well, ISIS now has turned on them. They're, you know, known enemies. And so Rap, he, he feels motivated. It's not even that he is authorized to or is, is told to. He makes it his mission to go in there. He actually para jumps in, which was kind of cool. And then hikes That was a really cool desert. chapter. I love seeing Rap do that kind of stuff. It just reminds us he's not military trained, but Stan Hurley gave him so much more. But that was also a nod to some of the stuff that Vince would write in the very beginning. And then like, it sort of like got pushed aside and he became way more of a, of a spy as opposed to like this operative, you know, that, right. that can do both the, the spy craft, but also can... The guerrilla warfare stuff. Can jump out of, you know, like some of the best parts of the book we hate the most are when he's doing, uh, what, what is it? Separation of, of power? Executive power in the jungle. Executive power. Right, Exactly. Him right. like the best part of the book is when he's doing that, that military stuff. Like even a commando was never, even though he was never in the military, you know. Yeah, and that that scene almost made me think like Vietnam. Like, oh yeah, rap skill set would have thrived in that operating environment. This one is like the guerrilla warfare of these cities in the Middle East, with these like bombed out buildings, and he he grabs a a shard of concrete at one point off some exposed rebar. And tosses it to create a distraction. Like, I feel like that close quarters combat, we're also seeing his skill set there. And, and and to bring up Stan Hurley, Kyle mentions him briefly and says... He does. A, a, a power jumper may not need an exact landing, right? You'd have an, an error or a margin of error in which if you land in the zone, you're good. Well, Stan Hurley made him. He said, as you're power jumping in, I'm going to stand right here. And if you can't kick me in the face when you land, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. So I feel like Stan Hurley's just just training rap, and I love that throwback. No, that was great. This scene also reminded me of the very first time we met Mitch when he's right. in that town um, in Bandarbas, and you know he just blends in so well. Obviously, here right. he's he's trying to not be hidden, but you know he knows that he could walk into the city and. You know, because he says he gets rid of all of his stuff, right? He he wants to keep some things. He buries but he has it. To get rid of it. He buries it because if he has, to, if he gets caught, you know, 
Um, I don't know. This was just very much. And I feel like this this whole book a lot a lot of times is called further cementing, you know, that Kyle knows his stuff. Right. Um, sort of bringing it back to where the survivor was. Kind of we talked about this where you could tell Kyle did all this research and he wanted to like add this connective tissue between him and and Vince. And I feel like we're we're coming back to that where maybe maybe order to kill didn't have that much. Yeah. I'd agree with you, but here's here's an interesting take. I think he's also connecting it to order to kill, sure. which is something Vince would have done, having a even two if it's not arc. a full two book arc where the plots rely on one another, at least these in between chapters bring the stories together. Right. Like it's a wrapping up of the of the story. Right. Like Lala's story arc, he never had to tell Muhammad, the brother, that he was the one who shot her. We hear in this scene that it's weighing heavily on his mind, and he knew at some point he was going to have to come clean and say what he did. And so to have that closure, when he gets to this town, he he meets up with the crew, and they're driving to an exfil to get the guys out. Muhammad's like, you never said what happened to Lala. Did they kill her? And Rap had to say, she went down. She wasn't going to go without a fight. She she took their the ISIS leader out as she was dying. And you and I both know what they would have done to her is way worse. And she wanted to go on her own terms. And so I took her life to spare her. And Muhammad comes to peace with that and actually thanks Mitch for it. And, you know, like, is that going to affect this book and this plot? No. No. Was it an but awesome it, nugget? Was it an awesome Easter egg for people who were fresh on Order to Kill? Yes. And does it bring some continuity? Because I think what makes the Mitch Rap series stand out, the the action's awesome. The character building is awesome. The political scenes are always awesome. The, the Everything's great. But what brings it to the next level? You know, it really levels up when you have a continuous story going on through all 20 whatever books. And I feel like little things like that just make you feel like you are with Mitch in the arc of his life. You're not just going on these haphazard adventures here and there that are all disjointed. Things like that just keep the series flowing book to book, even if every single thing in the plot doesn't connect. These things make it feel like a real timeline. Mm-hmm. It's it's just like what what Kyle said in his latest interview. It's it's something for obviously for the new readers, but then something greater for the people who have been here for what is this seventeen books or you know sixteen books, whatever. Right. Um. This will be book seventeen. Yeah. So, so does does this book, particularly closure like that, rap getting his guys out of Iraq, and a couple other things that happen here. Some things with Claudia, and then some things with President Alexander. Does all this make Order to Kill a better book? Imagine if you read this half of Enemy of the State as the last third of Order to Kill. Uh, we're, let, let, let's let's table that till uh, at the end of the pod. Right, I think it makes let's... it a better book, though. I'm, I think we'll see that by the okay. end. Okay. Okay. Right, right. I actually think of Order to Kill better having read this half of the book. What's funny that you said that is like I had that exact thought when I when I like you know today I stopped at you know chapter like thirty eight whatever and I'm like I like Order to Kill better now and I think that's right. why I remembered order I think that's why I remembered Order to Kill being better than 
when we were so down on on the book and it's like but why were we so down on this because we wanted this yeah and i think like because we knew this i mm-hmm. like in the past we we didn't and we obviously when we were when we were reading it before we didn't have this critical you know one snapshot all right let's dissect this book by itself mm-hmm. so uh, yeah the, again that picks up what did kill gets better and better Right, and that picks up with our next topic because a huge part of this book and the opening of it is with the Saudis. And something we said at Order to Kill was, a nuke went off in Saudi Arabia. What's the fallout? This whole Saudi Arabia thing was like a side story because we were in Pakistan earlier and now we're here. But it comes full circle looking at the fallout of the Saudi Arabia attack. One of their rogue princes who disagrees with King Faisal being too friendly with the Americans and with American intelligence, he goes rogue and he's funding ISIS. And so the opening scene is he's in Rabat, Morocco, and he's trying to hand off a million dollars to an ISIS general. So I feel like that's something I wanted to to see at the end of Order to Kill. And boom, Kyle opens it, opens the prelude with it. And we have, you know, the people who are following this prince are a new leader. We have, Joe Maslick. Or a new, he's not new, but he's now new to the lead, right? Yeah. Joe Maslick. And that is a direct consequence of the events of the last book. Right. Scott going down. Scott's been taken down. Someone else has to take the lead. Normally, obviously, this would be Scott running point. Um, and there's direct consequences for having Joe Maslick be, first of all, he doesn't want to be there. <laughs> I like his scene where he's just like, reason 42, you know, reason, and then he gets up to like reason 50, why he shouldn't be here. And if, if Scott was in that lead, they would have taken, do you think they would have, I want to ask you this, if Scott was there or Mitch was there, well, we know if Mitch was there, he would have taken the Prince, but if Scott was there, would he have taken the Prince? Yeah. So let's set the stage though, because huge moment. Did Maslick mess up or did he make the right call? So the team's watching, you got Charlie Wicker in sniping position, and he's also, his feed is being relayed back to the folks at Langley. And down his scope, they're like, whoa, we thought a guy called the Egyptian, some ISIS financier, was the guy coming in with the money, who's going to drop off the money and and handle the exchange. All of a sudden, a Mercedes S-Class with a bunch of guards rolls in. Yeah. And he's like, whoa, were we expecting a $100,000 vehicle rolled up? And then Maz is like, oh, man, it's it's sitting low on its shocks, so it's got armor. So this is an armored $100,000 car. Who are we messing with? Well, they're about to take him because he meets with the guy. He hands off the money. They know he's funding ISIS. They're about to take him. And at the last minute, Charlie Wicker says, Maz, we got confirmation from Langley. That's a 70, Saudi prince. 70%, 70% confirmation. Yeah, we yeah. got 70% chance that the photo matches a Saudi prince, a direct relation to the king. And pretty close. I think maybe first cousin or something. His like his favorite sister's his favorite sister's nephew. Or right, exactly. Son. So his nephew, yeah. His nephew, right. And that's when Maz is like, dude, we gotta make the call. We're gonna take him in, in five seconds. Is it a go? Is it an abort? And Maz goes, I never signed up for this. Like I I could be in the hot seat. He even says, like, if anybody's gonna take the fall for this, it's gonna be me. I don't have the cover. Mitch Rapp does, or sure. Irene Kennedy does. I don't. I don't have the president's phone number on speed dial. Like I don't have all these senators a blackmail on them. He's like, this is gonna fall on me. Abort, 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 and like 
he, he does it and he says, fuck, I should never have even been put in this position. Mitch ain't going to be too happy about that. So let's see. Was it the right call? I'm going to say, yes, it was the right call. Yes. I'm you do not yes, want to be call. the one when the intel changes on the op. You do not want to be the one without time to get higher authorities assassinating or capturing an ally, a diplomatic ally in the government with a family connection to a king. Like, it would cause a shitstorm. So I think he made the right call. Should he have taken him? Would Mitch, Scott, or any of anybody else have taken him? Absolutely, they would have taken him. Mitch even says, I don't give a fuck. That was the mission. Whoever it was, oh, yeah. they're funding yeah. terrorists. We're going to capture their ass. We're going to torture their ass. But I think it just highlights that's not what Maz signed up for. It's not who Maz is. And it was totally viable that he would make that call, which I think was the right call. Obviously, it's not the one we want to cheer for. We like when Mitch does these kinds of antics. But if this were real life, I, I think he made the right call with the intelligence at the time that came in. I, I think he even says that, you know, we're about to kill these two guards and they're probably just some, you know, from the embassy. Because I think they, they see that it's diplomatic plates, right? It was like, an embassy vehicle. Exactly. Embassy, embassy vehicle. So they're like, these are just two. Sh they probably don't even know who they're driving around. And like. That could be me right there, you know, right. driving around some diplomat. I think he made the right call. I agree with you that Mitch would a hundred percent done it. Done it. I I don't know if Scott Scott probably would have done it, but he would have done it differently than the way Mitch would have done it. You know, like oh, absolutely, like uh, Mitch would have just taken the guy. You know, shot the two guards. I, 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 should, no I don't know if he would have shot the two guards, but um. Because Mitch does like he not like to them. incapacitate them for sure. He would have said, um, "Take out their knees, right, <laughs> or something." Yeah, but it, th this is a funny thing though, because like after this happens, or I thought it was funny how like Matt sort of hides out in Europe for a while, and then when right. he comes back, he's, he's like av avoiding Mitch like at all yep. cost, and then like eventually there's a scene where like Mitch goes and sees them at like the seal demolition and salvage and. And Maz is like too scared to even look at look at Mitch, and all Mitch has to do is just go like, "What's up?" And then like you could see Maz like, "Ooh, like, relief!" Ooh, yeah, relief. The, the nod, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was just some some like some of the humor in this book, and I, I like the 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 humor that Kyle's uh, brought to the series. We've mentioned it a couple times, but you, you could you could it really came through in this in the first half of this book, dude. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is just. It is exactly some of the stuff we were clamoring for at the end of Order to Kill. And, I mean, Kyle knew to give it to us. He knew it. He knew yeah, we wanted it. He, he knew it. He knew it. Yep. All right, so what else is going on besides wrapping Iraq, getting his team out? So he's not in this mission. Maslik kind of dropping the ball, one would say, and they, they don't capture the guy who's funding ISIS. Uh, Scott's out. So I guess the Scott being out leads to this tension where, you know, Rap comes back, he's on the home front, mm -hmm. and he gets accosted by a couple of different people in wanting Claudia to join, you know, obviously, Maz shouldn't have been involved with this. Scott's slipping because he's, you know, he, he, he can't do it. He needs someone to help him with either replace him or and then they come up with this sort of brilliant idea scott had both the ops and the muscle so or like the the logistics and the ops so that they need let's create two positions and right. let's re try to replace each one and he wants to re the logistics side with 
you know, someone who did it for years for her husband, um, the crazy assassin Louis Gould, uh, and trying to get Claudia. And so there's a, a couple different instances where, you know, Scott directly asks Mitch. Mitch says no. Right. Irene asks Mitch. Mitch says no. Claudia asks Mitch like a couple of different times, and, and Mitch says no. There's this interesting tension between the two of them, and you can see how Kyle wants to begin to build further this relationship that he already had from stemming from the the previous two books and obviously fulfilling, you know, or coming full circle with this uh, sexual, you know, uh, or emotional relationship between him and Claudia, which I think is interesting that he then decides to bring in a a previous ex-girlfriend later on in the book and and sort of like (laughs) lends to like comic relief, this, uh, this, this, this tension between Claudia and and Donatella. That leads to some good moments in the next half for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we we got to bring that up next time. I think you, I think it's important you bring up Claudia here because that conversation of her being brought in and rap being so against it allows us to, or excuse me, allows Kyle to explore rap's psyche a bit deeper. Sure. Because the obvious reason he's saying no to bring Claudia back is because he cares for her and anything he's ever cared for. Yeah goes up in flames and he feels responsible and he's like I've actually enjoyed my relationship with Claudia and having Anna and her in my life and anything that I take seriously is now going to be a target you know and we saw a last book in order to kill again not to keep bringing it up they went after Claudia because they knew it meant something to Mitch and so if she's now working he would hope she's off limits because it's family and, you know, family should be off limits to a professional, right? To a real professional, not a Louis Gould piece of trash, but a real professional like rap, you, you people would hope family's off limits. But now she wouldn't just be family. She would be a player and that could even make her a, a bigger target. But so the other thing in rap psyche is he wants to protect her. He also is feeling a little guilty. And and Kyla writes this and and I got a quote here. So now he and Claudia had settled into an uncomfortable, platonic cohabitation that was starting to feel like a low-grade Cold War. Even after so many years, the death of his wife was a raw, bleeding wound. The years had proved that there wasn't much that could could kill him. Living through another loss like that, that might kill him. Like, he can't can't lose her. Right. Yeah, every time... Mitch has tried to open up in the past post Anna it's failed and he feels like maybe this could be something real. And so he, I could, I could sense why he has apprehension in allowing Claudia to come in, but see Claudia is different than Anna. Whereas like, and there's even like this scene where uh, we're going to get to it in a little bit. Once we set up this whole Saudi plot where, you know, Raph gets a phone call from the president and she like wakes up and is like, Oh, and he's like, I got to go to a meeting. And he's like, oh, okay, there's a list on the fridge. Make sure you get it when you come back. Whereas like Aunt Anna would have been like freaking out. Who called you? Where are you going? Like, right, right. And then like, I think there's another scene even later on when he eventually decides to, or you, in the moment where he's deciding, all right, I'm gonna, now going to let her in. You know, I've decided, all right, Claudia is going to have to become the ops leader and not even the ops leader of Scott's team, but actually of Mitch's, you know, black team i guess mm-hmm. they're, they're they're going rogue and 
he's in his inner dialogue is like, I'm not used to, you know, having this casual conversations about my mission. And cause she keeps pressing him like, Oh, you know, what, what's presses. going on? What, what are you doing? Like, oh, yeah. what are we doing? Like, and then he finally like, let's go. And, you know, so Claudia is not, obviously she helped Louis Gould, like rise to being the second best, uh, second or third best assassin in the world. So right. She knows, she knows her stuff. And she's going to get what she wants. She oh, yeah. keeps bringing it up, but she's not doing it in a way that's going to set Mitch off, but she does it just enough in a way that lets him know she's dead serious about it. Right. Like he even wonders, was she not at the airport to pick him up when he got back? Was that a oh, message? Purpose. And in his mind, he's like, is she trying to send me a signal that I better make a decision of if I want to be with her long term? That's more of the relationship. But he was like, if so, maybe I got to make a decision. Maybe I got to talk to her. And then he pushes it off. And then she corners him in the gym late at night. And Anna's down there, quote, working out with him. But really, just he's doing pull-ups and she's cheering him on. <laughs> and Claudia's like, go to bed. And she's like, can we talk now? And he's still trying to weasel out of it. He's like, hey, I'm in the middle of working out. And she's like, that's what you call it when you're playing around with a seven-year-old working out. So, yeah. He's, he's, his, his line is like, guess I could cut it short. And she's like, oh, gee, thanks. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> If I pulled that shit with my wife, I'd be I'd be out on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's here's a line though. I got I got to say this one because talking about the humor with Kyle, reps reps getting pushed and pushed and pushed by Claudia. He knows he has to make a decision. He knows he has to open up with her, and he says, "Quote: Why was it always the strong, defiant woman? He, women he was attracted to. A doormat would make his life so much easier." <laughs> Uh, it's it's so true. That's so true. <laughs> but to wrap it up, what is her winning argument? The winning argument is: Would the Morocco operation have gone better if you had me involved? And Rap can't deny it. Oh yeah, for sure. She would have been like on the const- constant comms. She right. would have seen that picture first. Right. She could have been able either to get a hold of Irene or, right. you know, probably made a more definitive judgment call herself. Um, right. So, they, or she would have kept have... Irene in the loop. Like Irene should have been there, like seeing right. that feed, you know. And she would have been able to identify the prince live time as Charlie's wickers looking down the scope. Sure, she would have had Irene on the comms to say approve or not approve, and it wouldn't have left Maslik in the hot seat. So, the intricacies of things like this and that mission, like there's not a whole lot of action. Actually, we didn't say, it, but when Rap is extract extracting the the ragtag group from Iraq, there's a quick little action scene where he and Gaffar, one of the locals, take out like six ISIS dudes on a pickup truck. Seven. Who are patrolling. Seven. seven he dudes. says if, if it's if it's eight eight or more, they're, right. they can't do it. But if they but it was seven, it. he's like, they're in luck. Yep. Yep. And Gaffar goes up to have a smoke with one of the guys. He talks real low, so they all lean in close, making it easier to Mitch to get his shots off. I think he shoots one guy by putting a bullet through another guy, so it hits two of them. So, yeah, but there's not much action. And then there's this robot scene, which doesn't really come to anything because the action gets called off. But it is it is high stakes in the moment. There's not much action, yet I'm I'm really captivated by the story because of these intricacies and the dialogue. I feel like the dialogue is so strong. This half doesn't need action to carry it. Yeah. Because there's no other action scene, is there? No, no. Um, besides like, so I guess 
we haven't have failed to mention, I guess, the follow up to this prince is right. the Saudis that are behind everything, and they're going to be our main sort of villains or one of our main villains in this. And so this, this is the Ali Nasser character and and the king, and so there's one like quick little action scene with him when he gets taken by Halabi that we could, we could touch on, but uh, yeah, no, there's there's not that much. Um, much of much action. Do you want to get into talking about Ali Nasser? I was going to say, I, I think the way we're talking about these characters and their relationships and their decisions carry the story in a way that the action, I'm fine with it being light on the action. That's because the Ali Nasser character, the Saudi intelligence chief, and his relationship with this prince who's funding ISIS and wants to turn on the king, I feel like it's so strong, their relationship. So yeah, what, what do you think of these two characters sort of as co-villains and they're not so co-villains. They're actually playing each other, and they both have very different aims as well. What do you think about their relationship or even their character uh, development? Well, the one is just a dunce in, in The Prince. And sure. there's, you know, obviously he wants to have a higher opinion of himself. And I guess eventually he comes back later. with that. There's that whole scene where him, he's in Monaco visiting his brother once because his, his, all of his money gets taken, right? Um, the Alien Nasser character, I don't know, he reminds me... I guess a lot of times Vince or Kyle have done this where the, the opposing agency's intelligence chief is, is the bad guy. He's been free. Or I guess, or sometimes not the bad guy um, in terms of who was the Iraqi one who um, who was actually the, like helped out whenever in protecting defense. Anyways. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yeah. yes. Who helped uh, get Kennedy back. Yes. and the, mm-hmm. But it, again, the Pakistani one in um, the most recent, one of the, what right. is it? Uh, the survivor was was the bad guy, Taj. Right, right. So right. it's it's commonplace for Kyle or, or Vince to use these 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 the head of the intelligence, the I guess the equivalent of Irene in another country to be the the quote unquote villains, right? I ben love Freeman, that. Yeah, you, you 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 nailed it on the head. So yeah, I think his you know obviously he's a guy who disagrees with the king. He wants this you know caliphate. This is really like the turning point in terms of moving away from the Taliban and really bringing in ISIS into this story, which, you know, right. obviously uh, Vince never saw the rise of ISIS. Kyle mentions that like multiple times, you know, so we're now moving forward in, in time, bringing in a, a, a topic that is, that is current of the time. And he wants to fund these, you know, these uh, terrorists in, that are in ISIS and thinks and really see some traction. in it. it reinforces the shift to, a post 9-11 world. We, we, yes, Vince wrote plenty in, 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 in post 9-11 world, but this is really reinforcing it with how they talk about some of the Saudi royal family funding Osama bin Laden, and they were ethnically or nationally Saudis, a lot of the, the, the attackers. And I feel like it's like the next phase of that, right? Sure. They were not stopped, that initial group, with our push against the Taliban. Those same extremist ideologies percolated and, you know, those seeds were planted again. And now we're seeing the second wave of that blossoming through this buffoon of a prince, but also through this very cunning, very intelligent Machiavellian intelligence chief who actually does away with the prince. He doesn't even want him in his plans. He was only, uh, he was a pawn himself. And so I like this Ali Nasser. And and like you're saying, this ideology is so clear. And I think it's very Kyle as well to connect to these big ideas 
He's much more philosophical where I feel like Vince would have just beat down on the Saudis, bad apples, you know, they're kind of rotten at the core, but they talk a big game and they put on a face for the world and then they pretend to be our friends. Where Kyle takes it to the next level and this Ali Nasser has this philosophy where he says, quote, freedom made the Americans weak. How could society protect itself unless the greater men took charge of every aspect? How could a society be truly exceptional when it was at the mercy of the whims of the mob? I feel like Kyle's critiquing a democracy, an American democracy, with this character, Ali Nasser. Yeah, very very much so. I wanted to ask you how he mentions multiple times this idea that U.S. intelligence, obviously we, we knew how, there was heavily Saudi involvement, but that right. we decided to, you know, look the other way. Like the how I'm, I'm not, I'm not, is, is was there such a deal? Do you know of like leaked information that there is such a deal? Like I didn't have time to look. I wanted, this was something I, I wanted to look up to see if there was, if this is true or this is just speculation. Right. I, I don't know about it in a research detailed way. I, and I haven't read the whole nine 11 commission report. But I'm relatively certain we knew the Saudi connections. The you know the Bush family had a very close, even personal relationship with a lot of the royal family, and I think there was some some speculation that Iraq, Afghanistan, hunting the Taliban was seen as more of a public distraction if you will instead of going after the funding source and the root cause which was wahhabism in saudi arabia which we didn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole so i do think there were reports and documented evidence that some deal uh was was struck if you will but yeah kyle's really explicit in in saying there was an actual handshake like an actual agreement to do this Uh, i think it i think it has strains of truth yeah, no, I want to I want to look on, look into that more. It it got it got me intrigued to like read more of that stuff and, right. and go back in the history of that. Really smart though to weave it into the thriller genre. It definitely shows he's keeping up with the times and he wants the story to be to be current. Yeah, and I feel like the those speculation pieces are are something that Vince did all the time, you know, like putting in something and, and stating it as fact when actually, you know, it may not be proven right. fact, but most likely is fact which uh, showed his worldview more than showing the real world it showed vince's take on exactly the topic. exactly and i uh people I mean, a lot i guess a lot of authors do this brad thor does this a lot too true i feel like though with vince it's a little different and he's a bit more opinionated i i don't know he, I feel so like brad kyle, thor, is, kyle is kind of an enigma to me i think we've mentioned this right. before I, I i can't get a feel on you know, like where he aligns politically, where, you know, how he feels about the state of, I mean, I, he, I know how he feels about the state of the world and, and, and America, but like, you know, what he agrees with. Um, right. Whereas I feel like I have a pretty good sense of like, w- how, politically, what, what Vince was. It was a little clearer with Vince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, I mean, that in a sense takes us to Alexander. It does. Because he comes in and there's a description of him, the same straddle both sides of the the aisle. I actually don't even remember. Democrat, Republican. It's almost like it doesn't even matter because I think he's a Democrat. I think he's a Democrat, I believe. Yeah. Which would which is interesting, would make the new president be a Republican. But the 
Kyle right. never mentions his his party. Like uh, that's what's interesting. But those I was gonna say those those characteristics don't even or those categories don't even matter because you're creating Alexander as that president who straddles politicians and the political know-how, but also with I'm down to earth and I'm going to take the reality of the situation. And I think that that is played out really well in the second half of this book, which we'll get to where Alexander has to go on a manhunt for Mitch and has to show the world. I want to get this guy too, but he secretly greenlit the mission. He was the one because of his rage problem, getting so pissed at Ali Nasser, knowing the Saudis are again funding terrorism. Like he, President Alexander almost sees like what happened with 9-11 and how we almost, quote, covered it up to protect the Saudis. He's like, I could be, I could be pegged with that, you know, five, 10 years down the road. What if my administration is pegged with, you knew Ali Nasser, you knew the Saudi intelligence, you knew this prince was funding ISIS and you kind of sat on it. He's like, I'm not going to sit on it. I'm going to green light some some dark shit and calls Mitch in and says, Mitch, he's like, we're leaving Kennedy out of this. We're leaving everybody out of this. You go as dark as dark can be and go kill these motherfuckers. Essentially, that's what he tells Mitch to do. And he says, you know that this meeting never happened. And if you get caught, I will have to take you down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was pretty cool. And like, cause at first Mitch is like, wait, what are you saying? And he's like, do you not understand? And he's like, no, I, I understand what you're saying, but I want you to say it. Like, I, I need you to say it. And, you know, yep. in, in no certain uncertain terms, be as clear as crystal, because I'm I'm on board and I'm ready to do this. And yeah. And this is when, you know, Mitch has to go. He formally cuts ties with the CIA, puts in his res- resignation letter. You get this like gut wrenching scene where he goes to uh, seal demolitions and salvage and, and has to tell the crew that, you know, he's. He tells him he's going on vacation. He's hanging up his boots. But they know he's going on a submission, and he and he has to tell him, well, where I'm going, you can't come. And he's like, well, that's fucking bullshit. Like, just tell me what you're doing. Like, I love how Scott calls him out. He does. Scott calls him out. Everyone else is Scott deserves like, better. Scott deserves better. Scott deserves the truth. Yeah, he does. But I but guess- But Rap can't give it he, to him. No, because he doesn't want him to, you know, get pressured when the inevitable manhunt Yep. You know, so Scott might be the one having to track Mitch down. <laughs> right. But rap ultimately needs the guys to have plausible deniability. Like, Sure, exactly. If it's like they can go out and say, he didn't tell us anything, but he did tell you, and people know that, it's like it gets weird. He literally if wants don't know, Scott don't and know. crew to straight up say, I do not know anything about this. Like our hands are that clean. Like rap wants their hands that clean. That no one could ever implicate them in any of this. But there's friends, right? They, they go through hell together. And do they deserve to be read in on this? Probably. I don't know. So who's the first person that Mitch recruits to his team? Well, it's Claudia before well, anyone else. Yeah, it's, it's Claudia, but who's the second person? He Sorry. agrees to let her in, and then all of a sudden... I guess the love triangle is back. Every time there's Donatella, there's a love triangle. And at the center of that love triangle is an ice pick. <laughs> Yo, well, before he gets to that, he goes down to Costa Rica. Oh, and he okay, gets okay, he okay. gets Grisha. But 
even before we get to Grisha, there's this interesting little 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 short chapter between we get Mike Nash in the story. Right, right. Um, we also get an interesting tidbit with the president and Alexander. Mike Nash. And he's yes. like, you got to watch out for that one. I think he wants my seat. Yeah. Um, he tells Irene you know, to watch out. Exactly. Because Irene is pretty much has him deal with all the politicians. Right. So I like these little nuggets, these these little nuggets that are that are sprinkled throughout. It does also say, though, because Nash's job here, I think he picks him up at the airport, drives him somewhere. It's like Nash couldn't really be involved. He can only get a few hours away from the beltway at a time. He's really like he's really dug in on the political stuff of right. being on the hill, being at the White House. Like he's he's not on the team anymore, if you will. But so they're having this interesting conversation where they're trying to pick not the logistics side, but the op side. And he goes to these people and he's like, what? That guy has like two, you know, is missing an eye. And then that guy, like the, he says like the Japanese will lend him something. He's like, yeah, but I can't understand. I can only understand 10% of them. And when he's on the mic, that goes down to like zero. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. And then he like recommends like some crazy person. And then finally he comes to Grisha, which eventually Mitch decides to create to his team. Yeah, I well, thought that that little comedy scene between the two of them was was pretty funny. Yeah, and I didn't even I kind of forgot it was Nash who brings up Grisha's name. And it's just like, "Hell no, look what he did to our best friend." And then Nash says, "It was Scott's idea." Oh yeah, exactly. Like, wow. Scott knows uh, we want the best of the best. And so Scott's not going to hold a personal grudge knowing how good this Grisha guy was. He he plants the seeds that maybe we can use him. And we already know Irene thinks she can turn him or use him. So Rap's like, let's give it a shot. So I guess that's why we had to wrap up Grisha's story in order to kill. Because right. he, I guess he could kind of see he wanted to have this. And having like the whole manhunt or, or a mission to go get Grisha in the beginning of this sort of mm -hmm. makes it less realistic that Mitch would then involve him directly in a mission, you know, immediately, you know, like I, I feel like, yeah, in order to give us some time, you know, cause that was, that was something we remarked upon when we were discussing the ending of order to kill how right. that just seemed like really quick. And then for him to like, just forgive him, not, not forgive him. I don't know if he forgives him, but for him to let him go. Right. Um, did you buy that? Um, well, I was going to ask you, we talked about maybe not so much buying it, in order to kill in the epilogue. I think it was one of our losers. We, we didn't feel, feel was right. But this conversation, I, I felt was very authentic in how it could have happened of one operative at this level, totally being caught off guard, seeing another one, having some small talk where they beat around the bush. The women kind of slink away to distract themselves. And the two men kind of just... I don't know. I feel like it's a it's an honest conversation of like, what have you been up to? You know, I didn't go back and talk to Russia. You know, I haven't had anything to do with Krupin like you asked me to. And he's like, I know that. And he goes, how's Scott doing? Like, I, I messed him up, but he was a good lad. Like he, he like Grisha says, like, it was a good battle. Right. Like you, you got a good guy on your team. And, and then Kara's there, which Rap saw. He protected the surfer girl. So maybe there is a human side to Grisha where he can care about human life. And I buy all that a lot here a lot more. So I I was expecting to cringe knowing Grisha comes back and he's on our team 
and he's kind of friendly with rap. I expected to f- it to feel a little cringy when it happened. A little forced. A little forced. But I didn't feel that way. No. It worked. I, I totally agree. And it's that, a very I think delicate chapter. And I think that's why this first half of the book elevates Order to Kill for Agreed. me. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. And the, the Grisha scene is a big part of that. Yes. And so you mentioned before uh, Donatella comes back. Yep. And yep. she's been hopping around, messing up with her, her, her protection details. You know, she was in Dallas and then and she, now she's in Chicago. And when we see her, she, she just kills like this random, uh, not random person, but the she druggie. kills a person who, the druggie who broke into her house. And I don't know, she just seems like this beautiful woman who's can't, you know, she used to be an assassin. Uh, now she's, you know, what, what did what did Mitch wanted to do? Work in a butcher shop, dude. dude that line is classic. that was so funny. Classic. He's like, "What? You're good with knives, and you like Yo. meat." <laughs> she's skeptical when Rap offers a job, and she's like, "Remember that last job you tried to give me in a butcher shop? Come on!" And Rap's like, "Yeah, you like food, and you're good with knives." <laughs> that that line was had me cracking up. All right, so let me ask you this. How badly would you want to see a Donatella spinoff series or a book? I would, and I think I would want to see it when the in-between, when we when we see her, like right in between when like obviously Ben Friedman recruits her and then when mm-hmm. we see her in, uh, what book is that? The third option when she has the ice pick kill. I would want right. to see like like her time in being used with the Mossad. I think that w- that would be interesting to flesh that out a little more. Yeah, and then her transition as a spy into the fashion world because there's right. also that good scene when Rap encounters her and they talk about their past relationship. And yeah, a very spicy scene, if you will. I think very separation spicy. of power maybe. Oh yeah, and Anna is there, and then she's because she's drunk, right? Right, right. And Rap brings her home, if you will, and argues with Anna. So to to see yeah. like Donatella's perspective on that of having Mitch out of her life, she's doing her spy stuff, and then Mitch comes into her life, um, and then it's messy with Anna. She even has a line here where she's like, "He never really realized that we were meant to be together." So Donatella really still has the hots for Mitch. Yeah, he was the one that got away, I guess. I mean, oh, yeah. but she's like batshit crazy. <laughs> she's nuts. She's absolutely nuts, man. I think Kyle, ele- like, I, in the past, I didn't see her as this crazy. I think Kyle has elevated the the craziness. He likes the court. I mean, There's the Kyle. Maybe, maybe that's what, you know, living in Dallas and being protected by the FBI, maybe that's elevated her you know obviously you had to be fucking crazy to be to be an assassin um but maybe you know being taken out of the environment you know obviously she's used to living this high fashion ultimate lifestyle and now she's living in freaking podunk well she gets threatened to live in iowa um yeah iowa is not milan so that's definitely gonna mess with your head (laughs) exactly there there might be a lake cuomo in in iowa but it's not lake cuomo (laughs) lake cuomo is Lake it Lake Cuomo? Cuomo? Lake oh, Cuomo. sorry. <laughs> sorry. Lake Governor of New York. Or Lake Formerly dis- Disgraced Governor of New York and Disgraced yeah, TV- there, Television host. There may be a Lake Cuomo, but there's no Lake Como. That's what I meant to say. 
Oh, dude, that's good. That's good. Dude, I, I feel this is like Order to Kill Part 3. Kent Black. I Exactly. Like, another another member of the team. Are we wrong this was, to keep this bringing this up? This was an interesting chapter. It was. It was. But are we wrong to keep bringing up these connections to Order to Kill? I'm like, Vince did that, where books kind of bled into one another. But this is really, really, like I said, that connective tissue. Like, it's just insane how much there is. Yeah, I just think that it's it's a really good sequel book. Like I think yeah. that's more so than what we've seen in the past. So here's a theory. He lets Kent Black live with that funny scene in Lesotho where Kent Black's like, can I at least, uh, can I get a ride in your van to the airport? And Mitch shoots at him and is like, get out of here. I don't want to see you again. <laughs> and Kent Black scurries away. It, I got a theory here. If you have an interaction with Mitch Rapp and you live whether he wants you to live or not, you're coming back in another book. Yeah, I'm sure. sorry, you probably are. Donatella, this Ken Black. I, I think everyone who interacts with Mitch and lives has to come back at some point. I think that's a rapism. Yeah, could be. Very true. Yeah. This, uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to point this, this Africa, I don't know, it was just, it was funny how he's like this, I don't know. There was a bunch of different genres that we got different chapters in a row. I felt like, you know, we had the whole Grisha scene and then we go to Chicago and it's like a gloomy night and we see Donatella kill somebody and and then we cut to Africa and we're in the middle of a civil war and it reminds me of like a bumbling Tony Stark, like selling weapons to like both sides. Right. And then, excuse me, they go back to this church, which will be like their base of operations for a little bit of this novel. And who, who's there but Mitch Rapp? He tries to run away, and then it. He he's like, I don't know how he did it, but but Grisha like I don't know how this guy did it, but he he was able to like get me so quickly, and then boom, there comes a what is it a knife or is it is it an ice pick? I think Donatello's got I, the I, knife. Yeah. I wish it was an ice pick. That would be sick if it was an ice pick. That would pick, be classic. Right up Don, against this Donatella temple. has a knife. So and yeah, oh, and Kent Black says something like, "Geez, Mitch, I did everything you said, and you still come after me, but but." At least you came after me with someone who's smoking hot. <laughs> yeah, please don't let me die. Don't let me die by someone someone that's that hot. Yeah. <laughs> and Donatello goes, "Oh, I like this one." <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Yeah, and so that that'll set up, you know, the rest of the book. Yeah. The the one thing we haven't touched on is uh, the Mullah Halabi. Right. Right. Who right. he's now the master player. He Nasser has been trying. Obviously, the prince in the first chapter, he was hoping to meet with. I guess stupidly, hopefully, like he's going to give his money and the mullah halabi is going to be there. Like, no, what, what the fuck yeah. are you thinking? Uh, that shows his ineptitude. Um, but Ali sets up these these you know a way to meet him. Uh, he does meet him, and because obviously he wants to get him aside. But this is interesting to bring up this character because he will become, I'm not mistaken, he's the main villain in Lethal Agent, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Love that connection. And I, I kind of like his character because we knew the prince was not sharp enough to be the big bad. Sure. Ali Nasser is being set up to be the big bad. But as the actual intelligence chief of Saudi Arabia, it's not like he's going to plan direct attacks on America. So there's this budding relationship of where Ali Nasser wants to take Saudi Arabia and aligning that with extremism and the ISIS ideology. 
So do you do you buy what Ali Nasser is selling, telling Halabi, look, King Faisal has lost his way. He is not one of us. He is too friendly with the Americans, but he's dying. I can be a man on the inside, connected to the intelligence agencies of the world, and secretly bring you intelligence that you can use as the leader of ISIS. And I can put somebody in on the throne in Saudi Arabia who will play our game. And so Ali Nasser wants to rekindle this pre-9-11 relationship of extremism being funded and fueled by the Saudis that King Faisal has been trying to root out. Do you buy that ISIS leadership and someone this high up in the Saudi government would would be working together or cut a deal like this? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but he's going to put him through the ringer, right? He needs yeah. to test his intelligence. And obviously, instead of just blindly, you, you know, the, the Halabi's, Halabi's smart. And he even even goes to the first act of, of sort of Nasser giving him intelligence. He gave him the intelligence just hoping he would get the general out. But actually, then Halabi like actually turns it into an attack on the CIA troop, on the yeah. CIA personnel that are there. And he does that because this is now going to put pressure, more pressure on Ali Nasser. And it's just like these thinking like two steps ahead. And I don't know, it really sets up Halabi to be this, an even bigger bad. Yeah, um, you're right. And I had no idea that I, I, I forgot that that's where enemy or sorry, lethal agent starts at begins, the very yep. end, begins at the very end of this book. Yep. And then yep. it's, so that's we get a whole book in between, right? That that do, doesn't talk about this, yeah, yeah, because it goes to Russia, which which is the Grisha stuff. So exactly, yeah, these are all tied together. They're, it's kind of like a wave, you know, going from one to the other. But there's that connective tissue. Yeah, exactly. Right, tying it all together. Yeah. All right. So we've we've got the Saudis getting in bed with ISIS. We know they're planning an attack. We've got Rap trying to get a team together to totally go dark and take out the prince who who is seemingly behind all of it and take out Ali Nasser, who's high up in the Saudi intelligence and the president's authorization for it, but kind of leaving Kennedy out, totally leaving Scott out, sets us up for some exciting adventures with Mitch, Grisha, Donatella, and crew in the second half. So let me ask you, what are your winners and losers? Let's do it real quick. Yeah, I... I really like the scenes where we meet the 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 teams um that are the team members. I like the conversation with Grisha, obviously bringing Donatella back. You know, the interaction with Kent Black was 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 funny and and really well written. Um uh, and I obviously all the like the Claudia stuff. I really like this I think my favorite thing though is the scene with Alexander. Um and his, you know, obviously he gets embarrassed with in his scene with Ali Nasser, but then the meeting with Mitch and setting up this entire operation. I don't know. That, that was just really cool to me and showed, you know, his, know, his bravado, his balls, whatever. Um, so it had to be Alexander for the win for this one. What about you? Yeah. Mike? No, I think um, I'll agree with you, but to add on to it, I'm pretty high on this book. So I'm hoping, <laughs> I hope it, I'm hoping, hoping this... it, it, it seals the deal. I, right, exactly. I'm hoping we can we can close it down in the second half and keep this up because I, I don't think there's been a stretch of a rap book with this little action 
that I liked as much. Right. I will agree with that. Especially Vince's writing. If Vince is writing, you needed that spark. You needed some big politician scene. You needed some big, some really super awesome rap kill. The dialogue was good, but could only sustain itself for so long. Or the dialogue would have been really good in one scenario, but the other storyline, you wanted to see action. Like, remember that terrorist training in Argentina? It lasted oh, right. so we... damn long. Yeah. That was definitely a slow burn, where here, it's kind of a slow burn that I'm down with. Because so many cool characters saying and doing so many cool things. So anyway, long way of saying, I just like some of the straight up dialogue. And I like Mitch's transition. Uh, Mitch is really, really thinking about transitioning his life to be with Claudia. What does that mean? What does it look like? And I, I really just like how we're inside some of the characters' heads. Later on, we get inside Donatella's head. This time, we've spent a lot of time inside... Uh, Mitch's head and with Claudia. So here's one other quote about the two of them. So I like that these relationships are being brought up, being expa- expanded upon, and and kind of moving moving forward. Because Rap says, "quote He thought about how his wife and how much he'd loved her, about his unborn child, about what that child would have meant to him, and of course about Claudia's role in their deaths. Were they looking down on him right now? And if so, what were they feeling? Betrayal?" Anger at the fact that every day their memory lost a little bit of its sharpness or relief that he'd finally move on. So I, I just like the fact that Mitch is being pushed to move on. And what does that look like? And dialogue and, and inner thought process like that really being spot on. It's just crazy to think I didn't need an action scene to to carry me through it. Yeah, no, I, I would 100% agree. Losers? Um I guess the one thing that I, I thought of you uh you brought this up but was you didn't like the narrator for this oh, audiobook. Dude. We have to address that. That's the elephant <laughs> in the room right now. Yes. Okay. I mean so you, Mike didn't realize that he was listening to the abridged version at one point, right? Sort of. So I had a road trip to New York. And Rosie had some work to do, so she wasn't going to come back with me. So I was like, oh, man, I get like four or five hours in the car I do that same thing. I do that same thing. And so I'm like, double time with Mitch Rapp. I'll knock out the whole book like in this one five-hour drive. It's going to be awesome. I'm like five, ten minutes in the drive. I go, wait a minute. This is not George Goodell. I literally pulled off the highway. (laughs) I, I had to stop. I literally had to stop and check my phone. I was like, this is not George Goodell. Who the fuck is this? So I look, and he was pretty good. Scott Brick. It wasn't George. I was super disappointed. But I was like, it's okay. I, I thought rap sucked. I thought rap's voice absolutely stunk. But almost every other character and the narration was really good. It's just a real bummer when when I thought rap wasn't rap. Right. But here's what happened. So I pulled over to check it. I'm like, just on the off chance, there's a second version of the audiobook. Maybe yes, I got the sometimes wrong one. there are. Sometimes there yeah. are. So I looked for a second one. I was like, yes, there is another version. And then I played that. I'm like, George, no. It was Armand Schultz, the abridged version. It was the, like six Brad, hours long. The Brad Thor guy. The, the Brad Thor guy. I, I hate to say it. He definitely does not work for the Mitrap series. I I wasn't liking it. I went back to Scott I, Brick. I, 
I don't know if that's because of I th- I think of him as Brad Thor and I like it in that context. Maybe that's why it was it was messing with my brain. But I went back to Scott Brit- Brick, finished it up. But yeah, I didn't like learning that there's these abridged versions with three four hours cut out. I don't. I I found this out. I guess when I was reading the book, reading and listening to the books the first time, because I would go in the library, and then there's like some libraries where, are the first like five books they bought only the full version, and then like everyone after that they only purchased the bridge version. It's like someone, whoever the purchasing agent did, was like, oh, here's here's an audio book. Like I'll just get who, the book is eleven hours. Just yeah. Why are you giving me? A seven, a, it's like a six hour and 40 minute abridged version. Like, what are you cutting out? I don't get it. Makes no sense. It's this a is disgrace. not like. I'm going to be honest. It's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. Shouldn't exist. No. They have thriller novels. They shouldn't exist. These, these things are like max 400 and 500 pages, right. right? If you take like the Alexander Hamilton biography that's like 2,000 pages long and you make an abridged version, sure, I'm about that life. A thriller novel? What? I want to know who listens to these. Who listens to abridged versions of audiobooks? And and I get people are busy. We said that in the beginning of this pod. That's why I do the double time. Just I listen to it on double time. I'm not going to listen to an abridged. I'm not going to listen. Okay. If someone else had the audacity to take a Vince Flynn book and decide, oh, you know, I I think we can cut out this chapter. Oh, you know, well, I think this doesn't make sense. Let's let's slash that so we can save twenty minutes. You, but it was are still a fool. sixty chapters. You're a fool. It's like the same amount of chapters, but then they they like cut stuff from it. I so I actually maybe when I have more time over the holidays, I'm gonna go through and listen to one of these. Maybe I'll do it with this one since yep. it'll be fresh in my mind. There's I'll go re-listen to it and see what they cut out. And get pissed off at what they cut out. Dude, we're doing it. We're going to do it. How about this? What if we finish the series? Because unfortunately, this is going to break my heart. We got one book left to go. What if we pick... Consent to Kill. Uh, right. Maybe our favorite book. All right, how about this? What if we pick the most important book in the series and see if there's an abridged and then do an episode about what they left out? What they left out. Yeah, no. Hold on. What happens if we like it? Well, see, Consent to Kill is a long book, longer book. Maybe not Consent to Kill then, because that is long. Maybe there are parts you could cut out. Yeah, which book I don't know. packs just... a punch? Like nothing can be left out, or it unravels. Memorial Day. Yeah, Memorial Day is like that. Yeah, maybe. Um, no, maybe you can cut out some of the chasing. What is, Extreme Measures? Kind of like that. Maybe Extreme Measures. I just really want to know who who reads this. Like, who doesn't have time like to listen? Like, you're listening. You're listening to a book, so just listen to the whole book. <laughs> I would feel so dissatisfied. Like, that's like that's like okay. re- buying a book and then yeah. saying every third chapter, I'm just going to skip. <laughs> right. If someone recommended me the series and I read all the abridged ones and I liked it, and then someone told me I was duped and there were these unabridged versions that have like forty percent more content like an extended cut in a movie, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. What? <laughs> I, I would felt like I got scammed by like a Nigerian prince. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Might have to mark That's this so one funny. explicit. I think I dropped a couple of choice words. <laughs> and I'm in a good mood no. too. I don't, I don't know what that's about. Uh, it's usually when I see cover C. <laughs> I will have to say to follow up your point. So 
I like Armand Schultz as the Brad Thor. I agree. And maybe that's because I first was introduced to him with the Brad Thor series. And like, I was sort of reading both these series at the same time. So I'd, I would jump back between George and, and Armand. So it was nice to like get this. And I think there was at one point, George then hopped onto the Brad, did like a, Armand couldn't do one. So, you know, mm-hmm. these guys are busy. I think George has like read thousands of thousands of, of uh, audiobooks. Right. But then Scott Brick, he actually read uh, another series that I read. He's also done hour, like thousands of hours of audiobook. But um, it's like uh, it's called The Passage, and it was the, Justin Cronin. He did this trilogy. They Fox tried to make a make a, and they did an awful job mm. of it. I liked it. it was about vampires, kind of weird. I didn't mind him there, but then when he came over to Mitch Rapp, I was like. Get out of here. Go back to the passage. Like I, I don't like you here. I want so George back. Maybe it's if you've heard that voice somewhere else that you're not a fan of it. Yeah, or or we just love George, you know. Or we just love George. And plus, to me, if you think of just a voice, they're two ends of the spectrum: Armand Schultz and George Goodell. Like, oh yeah, I I don't think they could be more polar opposites just in how how their voice carries. George with that very old man kind of deep, almost melodic feel to it. Like, you know, put Sherry to sleep. I love that story still. Thank you, patron Sherry, for being uh, one of George Goodell's biggest fans in the world. Armand Schultz, I feel like, is the opposite. I almost feel like I'm in a big Roman ruin or a temple, you know, and it's just this wide open space. uh, It's very almost official, like someone's on a microphone giving a speech. It's not warm. It's not fuzzy. George gives me the fuzzy, uh, you know, the fuzzy feelings. I, I, Armand Schultz, I just think, is so monolithic, if you will. It's just, it's just a very different voice, which very I think different. works for more of the modern Brad Thor kind of geopolitical stuff, where George Goodell's, you know, warmth really works for a rap scene where he's chilling with the boys. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yep. Anyway, so basically to wrap it all up, abridged audiobooks are the cover C of audiobooks. For sure. For sure. Run that as a, as our title. Who the fuck <laughs> listens to abridged books? You deserve an ice pick from Donatella. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that about wraps up our, our, our breakdown of the first half here. Next week, we'll be coming to you with our second half. Give you those. We'll talk about cover C. Um, I'm interested to see the covers of this book. I haven't I haven't done that yet. Right. Same. Uh, give you our final ratings and review. We'll see you next week. Again, uh, thank you to our patrons, including our special operator Sherry F, our special agents George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. And thanks our newest po- uh, patron Kevin B. Please subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us at MitchRapPod.com or on Twitter and Insta at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Gorilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.